or beginning at verse 4. And it's about the Samaritan woman. <laughs> now Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. <clears throat> when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. In verse 27, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you walking, talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So they came out of the town and made their way, way towards him. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans came from that town, believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Tony. <clears throat> but I, I may have slightly misunderstood the, um, the talk series. Um, because uh, I only heard it was about characters from the Bible, and I didn't hear the ordinary people, extraordinary uh, God bit. Um, so, uh, in actual fact, Sarah pointed out that anybody who is mentioned in the Bible is 
extraordinary because uh, they're actually in the Bible. Um, uh, and it is the world's best-selling book as well, seven billion copies according to uh, Guinness Book of Records in 2015. And last time, uh, I was really talking, when, we, when I looked at this passage, I was really talking about the content of their discussion about how they talked about worship in, in spirit and in truth, and I was talking about um, what is the truth about the spiritual realm. And uh, then Paul asked me to prepare uh, for a character in the Bible. I didn't know it was this extraordinary, ordinary thing. Um, but I'd had a bit of a revelation about the woman of Samaria, which is not surprising because it was written by John, and John also wrote the book of Revelation, so I guess that's how it goes. Um, so this time I thought I'd not talk about so much about the content of their discussion, but about the character and the consequences of the people involved. So I can have my first slide. Character and consequences. And the thing I thought about this is, have we got it wrong? This revelation of mine is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, I have to admit. Um, it's a bit of a reinterpretation of the passage compared with the traditional view. And I'm going to present the evidence um, for why I think this, this woman may not be quite who we think she is. And at the end of uh, the first bit of my talk, you're going to get to have another vote, another heads or tails vote on which version you think is the right one or closest to the truth. As Harry Hill once said, you can tell a lot about a person by what they're like. <laughs> <clears throat> so what do we know? Uh, let's have my uh, uh, slide, please. Next one. What do we know? Here is a little picture of, of uh, the situation. A woman comes alone to a well at midday, and it's unusual to come in the heat of the day. Jesus talks to her, even though she is a lone woman, and the woman talks with him. And it's actually one of the longest conversations uh, recorded that Jesus has in the Bible. And Jesus correctly prophesies that she's not married, but has had five husbands, and this sixth man is not her husband. Then they talk about um, who is worshipping correctly, Jews or Samaritans, which I covered last time. And he tells her at the end of that conversation, he is the Messiah. And she quickly departs when the disciples show up. She goes into town and tells the townsfolk that she's met a prophet who is the Messiah. And they come out and believe it too. And the traditional view of this woman is that she's an outcast. She comes to the well alone at midday because no one will associate with her. She appears to be passed around from man to man, husband to husband, as they saw fit, and now she's living unmarried. Her latest man does, did not want to marry her and give her any respect in the community. But it may not have been strictly abuse. Jewish law did allow uh, and expected women to marry again if their husbands died in order to give their children an inheritance. But five, that's a bit unlucky, isn't it? Five dead husbands. And it still doesn't account for her current arrangements. So there's still some reason to feel that she's in adverse circumstances. She is surprised that, no one will, that anyone will talk to her, especially a man, and especially a Jewish man. She's not used to being treated respectfully or as an equal. She's interested in having another source of water so she doesn't have to come here to the town's well, especially at midday, when it's the hottest part of the day, and probably the act of drawing water 
It's probably quite laborious, I would have thought, lifting up a, a pail of water from a down a well. You'd think there's actually quite a lot of effort required in that. It's bad enough watering our garden. <clears throat> uh, when Jesus uncovers her past, she tries to change the subject. But he steers it back to the heart of the issue about worship and tells her, a woman, his own secret. He is the Messiah. When she goes back to town, the townsfolk are so amazed at her transformation and her claims that they come out to hear it for themselves. By telling her his secret, he has restored her status in their community. The people believe not just because of her, which is their way of acknowledging her, but also because they've heard it for themselves. It's not in spite of you, whatever you've said, we'll believe. It's because and. It's because of what you've said and we've met him that we believe. So her status has, has been elevated. That's the kind of traditional view, yes? That's kind of what, what you probably heard, heard before. Um, someone who's a bit down at heel, a bit like the person at this picture, a bit at like the feet of Jesus. But I'm wondering, tentatively, if she was more like this person. If you don't recognize her, that's Rita from Educating Rita. And Rita, in the film, is not shy. She's not retiring. She's not a put-upon woman, but actually she's quite bold, quite forward, and maybe a little bit mouthy, to be honest. <clears throat> She may be an outcast, but that's only because she's a bit of a man-stealer. She's been through several men, six of them, and she doesn't seem to be settling down with the current one. Women of the town where she lived may not want to associate with her because they didn't want to lose their husbands. I mean, there must have been something about her to have had five husbands and a sixth partner Perhaps she was very good-looking. I mean, this actually puts her in the same league as Zsa Zsa Gabor, Elizabeth Taylor, Rita Hayworth, and Pamela Anderson, who have had nine, eight, five, five husbands between them, respectively, in that order. <clears throat> so here's five other things that might convince you that maybe she's a little bit more than she seems. First, next slide, please. How can you ask me for a drink? Just wonder, does she think Jesus is there to chat her up? He's being a bit forward, isn't he? Speaking to me as a woman. Suddenly he's, he's out there. But she's more than ready to answer. How can you ask me for a drink? I am a woman and a Samaritan at that. We don't even speak to each other usually. So she may be thinking, what's this guy after? She's had five husbands and is on a sixth. So maybe she knows a thing or two about what men might be after. <clears throat> but now he says something else. He says if you know all about him, he'd give her some living water. So we're in the midday sun, and he brags about having another source of water. What's her response? Next slide. You have nothing to draw with. Are you greater than Jacob? Typical man. He hasn't even got a bucket, but he's talking like some big shot, greater than Jacob and his ancestors. He's just trying to impress me. 
Water is scarce round here. That's why I'm here. So now he's richer and greater than the great Jacob, and he's going to give me access to another well, somewhere that somebody else doesn't know about. Okay, hon, if you've got another source of water, I'll buy in. Save me from all that work. And maybe if nobody else knows about it, it'll save me coming here at midday. So she says, okay, give me this water. It's at this point Jesus then asks about her marital status. You can imagine what she thought. Okay, thought so. Bound to be some catch. Well water fell for, well, you know what. The guy obviously likes me. He's not so bad. One more won't make a difference. And I'll have my own private well too. Could be worse. So she plays along and says... I have no husband. I won't admit that I'm attached to anyone. Let's see where this thing leads. But she's fallen right into the trap, hasn't she? Jesus shows he knows her thoughts and that she's hiding something. He tells her about her husband's and her her current partner. What's she thinking? Mm, Okay, the stakes have changed. I'm not dealing with an ordinary man with with an ordinary man's agenda. Now I'm talking to what appears to be a holy man. Let's change the subject. Cool things down a bit. Maybe talk about something he wants to talk about. Worship, God, that sort of thing. And in the course of their discussion, Jesus tells her that he is the Messiah. But then the the disciples return and the whole dynamic of the conversation changes. So she heads back into town and tells them what's happened to her. Next slide, please. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Note that she says the man who she she thinks is the Messiah told her about everything she has done, not what has been done to her. So is she this active woman or is she this passive woman? That's the question. And when she goes back into town, was she showing some kind of repentance, which is why the town listened to her? They, she's, he's told me everything I've ever done. It's like it's a confession to the, to the uh, uh, town. But she managed to convince them to come out, whichever way it was. So there we have it. Let's have my slide. Which character do you think she is? Heads or tails? Perhaps if those who would like to stand, if you can. Otherwise, we'll do the same. Heads on here, or here, or on your knees. Okay, let's have a vote. Which type of woman was she? Heads? Shameful or shameless? Hurting or whatever. What have people, what have people got? People have gone for heads. Oh, people have gone very traditional. Most people have gone traditional. Okay. Oh, oh. No, no. Someone's, someone's going halfway. Okay. That's great, that's fine. Uh, sit, sit down out there. The real answer is, it doesn't matter which one you think she is. Um, uh, because uh, this is where I'm getting into my takeaways now of the thing. We, well, my takeaways are two things, one about character and one about consequences. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter who she was, Jesus still accepted her. Was she quiet or loud? Shameful or shameless, hurting or hustling, whatever. Jesus still met with her. 
There are no secrets from him either. And that's true of us. God knows all about you. From the moment even before you were born to this moment, he knows every thought you've ever had, every temptation you've ever resisted or given into. He knows what you've done and he knows what's been done to you. There are no secrets from him. To him, your life is a totally open book. And yet he still wants to meet you. Where you are, whatever your situation you, now, you are now in. And he comes not to judge, not to condemn, not to call you out, not even to tell on you to others. It was the woman who confessed to the town what she did, not Jesus. Despite all that she'd gone through, and despite all what you've gone through, Jesus wants to say this, I am what you're looking for. I am your salvation. I give you love, acceptance, freedom, hope. With me, your life won't be as it was. You can look at it and look at yourselves through my eyes. So that's my first takeaway. Have you realized and fully come to terms with that Jesus loves you and accepts you just as you are? Have you taken that on board and let it change how you see yourself and your circumstances? That's my first takeaway. Second takeaway is about consequences. The Samaritan woman was transformed by her meeting with Jesus. She went into town and told everybody to come and meet Jesus. She was probably the first female evangelist in the New Testament. But it raised a question for me. Did you know I turned 60 earlier this year? <coughs> I was expecting a gasp of disbelief. But <coughs> anyway, by, <laughs> by August 23rd, just coming up, uh, or around that date, I would have been a Christian for 50 years. And can I have my slide? And that's where it happened. That's the field where it happened. I was 10 at the time on a Christian camp and the Holy Spirit came down right there. Right in that field, God spoke to me and convinced me to be a Christian. And becoming a Christian is the second biggest decision in my life. My first is, no, it's not deciding to marry Sarah. That was my third. My first big decision was deciding to be born in a country where I'd hear the gospel. Um, <coughs> Obviously, it wasn't my decision. But, um, but here's my question to myself, 50 years as a Christian. How am I doing? How am I doing as a Christian? Yes, I've learned a lot, and I have still got a lot to learn, I'm sure. Uh, but one thing I'm trying to learn recently is to make sure I'm actually meeting with Jesus when I pray, when I worship, when I read the Bible. I think for me, after 50 years, I found it all too easy to have a routine and do things without actually really trying to engage and meet and acknowledge Jesus is really there with me. This woman met Jesus and it changed her. It had consequences. Just wonder how many of my meetings with Jesus changed me and have consequences. And that's the challenge I'd like to leave with you to consider in your own walk with Jesus. Are you meeting him? Is there a change happening? Are there consequences when you meet Jesus? 
When I met Jesus in that field, my life changed forever, but I know I have to keep on changing. And the only way to do that is consciously coming into Jesus' presence, to take time, concentration, effort. We had that reading at the beginning about um, seeking God with all our mind, soul, strength, and so on. That's what this is about. That's what this talks about. And the amazing thing is, um, what I try and do is, uh, when I pray, I start my prayers like this. Jesus, you are listening to me. Jesus, I know you are listening to me. Or something like, God, you are the real living God, and I know you are listening to me right now. And I keep repeating that until I've got it, until I know it. And maybe something like that will help you too, or maybe you have something else. The other benefit of doing that is it's not hard to praise our amazing God when you realize he's really listening to you. You have his attention. The attention of the one who created the universe and created you. It's quite amazing to think of when you actually get into that uh, place. The Bible puts it like this. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So those are my two takeaways. Character, do you know that God loves you no matter what you're like, no matter what you've been through? He loves you, he accepts you. And the consequences. When we meet with Jesus, are we being changed? Are we getting really into his presence and letting that presence do something to us? May God bless that to your thinking and being.